right, everyone. Welcome to another episode of What's What VR. We have a first-time guest. We have Dr. Craig Greenwood. How are you, sir? Hey, good afternoon. Appreciate you making some time for us here. So might be confusing people, but not only you're an orthopedic surgeon, but also wear a couple hats here in town, correct? Yeah, I, um, I believe in citizen democracy, so I think normal people ought to be in politics for as long as possible, so... I'm taking my turn, and after this, we might be voting for Brandon. We never know. <laughs> I've had some people uh, try to talk me into that, and I just keep – I think the safest answer for myself and everyone else is no. No, like that's a hard pass. So so tell me, I guess, what's the you know the day job orthopedic surgeon? I think we get that. But the other day job with the Public Service Commission, you know, I guess what's the normal day in the life? What pulled you into – you know, the public service, you know, commission side of things. I don't know if a lot of people realize what this is and how important it is. So, yeah, you know, I still get asked if I'm on the school board or didn't know, you know, people don't even know what, what we do. And we're probably next to your house note, your utility bill is probably the next biggest one. And, and people don't even realize it. So there are five commissioners. There's a million people in my district and, so we have a, a team of people that mainly field complaints about whatever. They can't get their electricity turned back on or maybe they don't like their bill. And so we're, um, we're who you reach out to for those type situations. And a lot of times we can help, you know, these big monopolies, they're often not suited for customer service. And we're trying to push for them to be more, uh, more to do better at customer service, but they're not there yet. So that's, we're the avenue for that. And what yeah, we do, because most of them are monopolies, we set that what they are allowed to, to make. Uh, they have to be able to earn a fair rate of return. But we're also looking at ways how that could be different as well. And that comes down to, I guess, from kind of, as you said, this is the kind of break it down for, if I had to describe it, it would be, you know, for people to think kind of the electric company. You know, you've got one set of power lines that run to the house and the guy who owns the power lines gets to, you know, in theory, he could charge whatever he wants for it, but you guys are there to kind of regulate on top and say, no, you're, you can't just make up whatever you want to charge for kilowatt hour, you know, on your own. Right. Yeah. Because of it's a monopoly, you know, it's so cost prohibitive. If say me and you, Brandon, wanted to start our own company, the, the startup cost for that, the barrier to entry is just so enormous that the, the people that have it already are the ones that are going to be, it's going to be best for them to keep doing it. But if they're the only ones you're right, they could charge whatever they want. And that's where we come in to regulate them and deem what it is that is a fair amount for them to make. And of course, they're always arguing that they need more. And we're trying, our goals are threefold, really. We want, first of all, reliability. We want the lights to come on, the air conditioner to come on, the heater in the winter. Um, the second, though, is affordable. And, you know, we're poor state in the union. Many of our, our customers, our rate payers, are on fixed incomes. And so you get a bump, that, that cuts into their living expenses every month. And the last, which I think is an emerging one, but very important, and that is sustainability. So we make a decision through the lens of reliability, affordability, and sustainability. And how does that work? Do you guys get involved, you know, as well on some of these, you know, like the surcharges, you know, like the Katrina, you know, the additional cost when they come in or do they, are these companies able just to kind of decide what they want there? Or do they still have to come back to you guys to some degree? No, they, they absolutely have to come to us. So 
they figured out even before I got there, the best way to do that, let's say, for instance, the most recent, recent round of storms um, are probably going to cost between four and five billion dollars for the state of Louisiana. And so these companies <clears throat> traditionally they get a return on whatever they spend. <clears throat> well, this isn't a this is a catastrophic emergency, and so for them to be able to earn nine and a half percent on four to five billion, eh, there's got to be a better way. So what, what they came up with, which is the best way, is a bond mechanism, to where the, a bond is issued for that amount, and you know for Katrina it'd probably save between six and eight hundred million dollars of what it would have cost otherwise, and for this it's going to be probably close to a billion dollars in savings in that way. So the best case would be if the federal government would fund some of this. I mean, in my opinion, they're going to possibly spend a, send another 33 billion to the Ukraine. And what, what they're doing there is very important, but could we get one to 4 billion for our, for Louisiana, for almost losing our entire electric grid, that would be quite helpful. Yeah. I'd like to, I'm all for helping as many people, but I think you got to put a priority, right? Like, let's start, let's fix what's wrong at home first. And then if we've got right. something left over, you know, then let's go push it, you know, out there because like you said, it's, it's, it's our electricity. It's a grid here. That would make that, that would seem, that would make sense. Right. And, and I really believe that let's say this for, we're talking about New Jersey instead of Louisiana. I'd be okay with that too. Let's take yeah. care of New Jersey before we take care of the Ukraine. Yeah. I'm with you. That may, some people may not think it's popular, but I think that's, you know, I think we have to be realistic, you know, because well, who knows point, where the you end know. of, who knows where the end of quantitative easing really is. So if you're printing it, just send us some too. Exactly. So tell me now we've talking a lot about energy, but this is, you know, electricity, water, wastewater, gas, you know, pipeline, you know, a lot of, it's a lot more than just the electricity at the end of the day. Yeah, it's a, it's electricity, uh, water, wastewater, gas, towing, motor carriers, pipelines. Um, and then really we, we don't enforce all of these, but we regulate them. Mm -hmm. um, and you know, what that looks like is people have, you have a generation, like generation would be, is it a coal plant, which hopefully those are going away or is it natural gas? Those have been very good. Uh, for a lot of reasons. There's nuclear, uh, you, there's solar farms coming out now. There's a lot of chatter about wind, but that is the source for the electricity. Then you have, you might see the really big lines that, that maybe go across the field or they go across like Pontchartrain. Those are transmission lines and those are very high voltage um, and they can get, get it from the generation plants to what's then called the distribution grid. And that's the lines that we have outside of our house. So the transmission and distribution, those are often, those are, those are there. Um, they, they might blow down, but we're going to try to figure out how to put them back up better, um, possibly underground or how can we be more resilient is something that we're asking a lot of. But these generation plants are often, you know, they're, they're 40, 50 years old. They're, they're paid for. Um, they've got to be decommissioned. And then the next step is to ask, well, what should replace them? And arguably, if we get to more efficient use of electricity and we can get something that's, um, you know, I think the natural gas plants and the, the heat rate, which is the efficiency at which they convert natural gas to electricity has become so good. That's one of been the, one, that's been one of the leading factors to decrease uh, the carbon emissions and CO2 emissions. And so I think natural gas is, is really s suited well for providing us for those. And then the question is going to be, 
who pays for those? Do we pay for them? They're outside companies that are wanting to start paying for them. And that involve, involves what I, what I refer to as risk transfer. Who's taking on this risk of building a new power plant? So we're, looking, we're exploring all of those options. And so you mentioned that, you know, we watched, I guess, was it a couple of years ago over in Houston, you know, they had the big freeze over in Texas and, you know, their whole grid kind of went down. Do we have some of that same risk, you know, here, you know, not necessarily of a freeze, you know, but is it, you know, I don't know how many, I think people take a lot of granted for being able to walk in and flip a light switch on. And we all understand when the storms come in, but there's an, a massive amount of infrastructure that's got to make that happen. And I think people don't realize what's involved. <laughs> Yeah, so absolutely. If you look at Louisiana in the last, you know, six, seven years, we've had the flood of a century, the freeze of a century, five named hurricanes. I have a camp in Fouchon, winds registered there 196 miles an hour. Uh, we had sustained temperatures below freezing for four or five days. Just things that, how, how much could you plan to make that uh, never happen again? And I think you have to balance that with how much would it cost to achieve that and who's going to pay for it. And so, you know, I don't think Iowa or any other in the Midwest have all these hurricane problems, but they've certainly winterized uh, their grid a little better than we do. So the question is, it's going to be 100, 100 degrees between now and October. How much do we really want to winterize it for a, a once and how often freeze we might have? And I think the answer lies somewhere in the middle. How can we do better for the, the cheapest possible way of doing better? We what lessons to, uh... can be learned? from Texas and from Ida and from Katrina. You know, if you look at it, a lot of people would say, well, just bury everything. Well, if you bury everything, that that's fine until there's a water event. And Katrina was a water event. Mm -hmm. And so you don't want things underground if there's a water event. Well, if there's a wind event, maybe it is better to be underground. But then you start looking at underground and you think, well, how many trees are we gonna have to take out to put everything underground? And how, do you, how expensive is it to fix something when something underground goes? So we've actually hired uh, engineering firms to help us answer this question on a very granular level moving forward. How can we do better? How much would it cost and how long would it take? Yeah, I think that's, you know, you can, I can remember, you know, a number of times you'll see, you know, when it's above ground, it's being run over on the energy side, just pop that fuse back in and get you back up and going versus having to dig everything up. You know, we used to call it in the, when I was in the IT world, you know, you could spend as much money as you wanted backing up data and redundancies of systems. But what it really came down to, we would explain to people like, look, we can go all day, but let's start with, you know, what's your, what we call a recovery time objective, you know, like how fast do you need it back? And that's going to determine how much money, like if you're willing to be down a day, you know, is that okay? You know, because we don't need to spend all this money to get you back up in, 45 minutes versus, you know, it's that middle ground, I think is kind of where you're talking about, of, you know, what's and important. The way, the way I think about exactly what you just said is, let's say everything blows down tomorrow. Well, the, the priority becomes how quickly can we get everything back on? That is not the time to sit and analyze to say what should be underground, what should be, um, what should be above ground? Should we put the most expensive poles possible? You know, though, that, what I think that takes is three plus years of planning and then, then it's rolling it out in an iterative and affordable manner. Now, when you say affordable, like you said, that's the whole question of still who's paying for it and what's it, you know, needs to be done. And that's probably a decision for people smarter than me to kind of figure out. But, you know, 
is there any other ways that you can think of that this could be done? Do you see other, you know, municipalities or areas that, that are we still in the same, you know, we're generating power, transmit, distribution, you know, that's the three possible or the three main ways of doing things. Is any of that changing, you know, that you can foresee? Is it making smaller grids or, you know, is it these are priority grids, you know, those kind of things? Well, if you think of the utopian situation, I personally think it would be small stackable nuclear and underground microgrids. Now, if we scrapped what we have now and went to that, it would probably be a hundred times more expensive and who knows how long it would take to roll that out. So, you know, going from utopia to better than we are now, if we think of that as a spectrum and how can we gradually get better? And then to think, you know, I kind of think competition breeds excellence and there's a lot, even look at what Elon Musk wants to do with Twitter as far as making it open source. Um, I think involving more people, more public, more professionals in this conversation is far better than just doing everything the way we've always done it. I think that's the key. I think there's a lot of times, I know we do that at our company is, we always have to ask, you know, why? You know, challenge the why of why we do different things. And just because we did it this way before doesn't mean we need to keep doing it, you know, that way. And so well, I'm a big believer in two things, cognitive dissonance and also confirmation confirmation bias. And so politicians are terrible at this, doctors, probably just most people in general, that when you make a decision, you just start doubling down on why that's the right decision. And I think what we should do instead is ask the question, well, how could we be wrong? Mm-hmm. What could go wrong here. And then that's called hypothesis testing. And then let, I mean, if, I, if I'm comfortable with my hypothesis, I should let everybody else test it too. Um, right, right. And then if we find out something that could be wrong, well then, okay, let's make that better. Um, so I think that, that we should have that approach. And also to learn that, let's say the first round might be better, but not perfect. Well, let's learn from those mistakes and keep, keep sharpening it. I've always said progress, you know, over perfection. You know, let's just get there. If we sit there and wait until we have the perfect model, you know, filled out, we're never going to get there. And I had a quote recently that said, it's better to have uh, some of the questions than all the answers. So I just think we keep asking questions until we get to the most refined answer possible. I th- you know, I think you're right. And I think that's what a lot of people need to, you know, people need to figure it out. You know, I've got on my desktop, you know, literally on my computer right now, there's a quote, William Polar said, you know, the arrogance of success is to think what you did yesterday will be sufficient for tomorrow. And I think that's so true that we can't just sit there and say, yeah, we were all did great. You know, this grid or everything's worked perfect. You know, let's just keep running, you know, those copper lines. Somebody's got to sit there and go, but why? You know, like what's the next, you know, step? And then, well, and Break it a, apart. Lot of, a lot of the things that we're looking at, Brandon, we haven't looked at since before there was an iPhone. Think about that. That's, yeah, I think, what is it? Somebody told me it's, you know, not the same correlation, but like when you go look at schools, you know, if you go look at a classroom now, the way somebody described it, it's funny, you go look at a classroom from 1930 to a classroom right now, by and large, it's pretty much the same. You know, the desks are in rows, the teachers in the front, you know, everything's pretty much the same. But if you go look at, you know, a phone, you know, then and now, like everything's changed. Like we have to be able to, I think, you know, challenge and, you know, say like, well, 
how can we do better? What is the other option? You know, is the best line putting a pole in the ground and running, you know, copper down it? Like, can we do smaller? Maybe that's what you're referring to, you know, smaller substations and neighborhoods. And then how do we do these different things? But how much of that falls on, I guess, you guys in the PSC or, you know, the distribution and transmission like those guys, like they've got to have a, you know, they want, they don't want things to break. Right. You know, they want it to work all the time and things, but is it you guys kind of, is that the iron sharpens iron a little bit where you're kind of pushing on them? And Yeah. I mean, well, the iron sharpens iron is we have to approve their rates. So otherwise <laughs> I don't think they would listen to us, but um, also we're looking at, look, I have a pole viability docket. So how can we make the distribution poles more resilient and, at what point when they're leaning, do they need to be fixed? Do you have to wait for them to snap in two before we fix them? But do we just, it's kind of like Jack Welch. Do we just find the, the bottom 10% of poles every year and replace them? How much would that cost? Who pays for it over what time period? Same with transmission. You know, the transmission structures that were supposedly rated for 150 miles an hour wind, were they? So what about the ones out there that aren't right now? So we just start replacing those and then everybody should expect to see that reflected on their bills. One of my, my opinion, too, is that people don't mind paying a little more if they can see what it's going towards. If they see that, like, gosh, we had a storm and my lights stayed on or that poles looks good or um, the transmit, nothing failed in this bad storm or freeze, then they kind of very proud of the grid that they have. What people don't like is when they pay more and think that it might go to some shareholders profit and they lose their power in the middle of the day. That gets to be problematic. And I understand why. So. Part of us is holding them accountable. So say we give you, we allowed you to spend this much money on um, on vegetation maintenance around distribution lines. Well, show me your work. Did you do it? Mm -hmm. Which ones? How much did you spend there? Uh, people just want to make sure that the money they're paying in electricity doesn't go toward people flying around on private jets. You know, they want to make sure that it's going towards keeping electricity on. on. Well, I'm thinking you probably have it's one of those things where when it's working, nobody calls to say, thanks. Just want to let you know, everything's great. My power's on. Things are wonderful. You get the call when it's always, you know, it's down or, you know, there's a problem. And that's, you know, we're talking a lot of high level stuff here, but like you said in the very beginning, you're also fielding that call of, you know, someone who's maybe saying, you know, I've heard stories of businesses to where it's like, there's no reason why I should have this high of a bill. It turns out, you know, that they were in a shopping center and somebody else was wired into their you know, building and, you know, but that happens in the home too, I guess, maybe sometimes, you know, to where it's like, Hey, this doesn't seem right. And it's like, well, if you call that power company, then they're not as likely to go, you know, what, let me send somebody else to take a look. Yeah. I think the other, the other thing to factor in is what they do is very difficult. You know, you think about there's a storm rolling in 150 miles an hour and think about how brave these linemen are that are coming from Florida or Tennessee or wherever. And they're going to go out in the middle of it and start working. And so we should tip our hat and give a lot of thanks. And I think most people do. It's just a mm -hmm. breakdown from when you pay the bill to, to see where it goes and what all goes into keeping the lights on. Uh, and, and I think, you know, say we get to more efficient use of it, whether it's better light bulbs, you know, um, better everything. Perhaps we could use less of it, but certainly that's not been the trend. The trend has been we're building more structures. People are using it more. Of course, with the internet, now you have, crypto mining, which is uh, increased the usage of electricity. So I think we have to be ready to, to embrace all three of those, reliability, affordability, and sustainability. 
it would seem, is this oversimplifying a problem? And I guess, you know, I'll probably leave you with this, but it would seem, you know, as a private business owner, not in a utility, but like I would, if I ran the company and I had people, you know, obviously when people lose power, they get very upset. I would have on that monthly bill every single month, like here's your uptime. You know, like your, your electricity has worked 98% of the time in the last 12 months. Like it's, if you gave that rolling average just to kind of put a little perspective to it, it's like, we all know it's horrible when it goes out. Nobody right. likes it, but it's like 98, 99% of the time. Right. It's working without a problem, you know, it well, I think like that's that'd a great be idea. Good... See, maybe, maybe you would make a great commissioner one day. Uh, <laughs> I think, I think what people want, and I believe in transparency, and I think in accountability. And I think if people, if we can give them as much information as possible, such as that, that helps. And to your point, the one percent of the time or whatnot, I used to tell people when I had a winch on my truck, you don't need it until you do. And the one percent, it probably happens at very inopportune times. Uh, and so mm -hmm. the other thing with these power companies and maybe even people perceive the public service commission this way, kind of like the trash man. You, he only gets attention when he messes up, but if he yep, does his yep. job, no one really ever notices. Right. Mm -hmm. And maybe that's the way it should be, but this is a very monumental task that so many people are trying to tackle. My, my goal is to, can we make it iteratively better? It's not going to be this magnificent swing where things are suddenly different but over time, can we make it gradually better? And you know what it might be? And here's, I know you've got some places to go, but I'll throw my last idea to that just came. Maybe it's people, the way they feel, like I believe perception is reality, you know, to where at the end of the day, when, if I've got a, let's just make it, you know, and on average, I've got a $200 electricity bill. Well, my power goes out. If I had that percentage that tells me on the bill, this is how much it's in. But then also the same kind of way the federal government handles something like the airlines in the effect where like if you're sitting on the tarmac for so long, these airlines are having to write credits back. You know, it's like, yeah. hey, you've got, you know, you kind of got a penalty. So it's almost like I don't know what it is. And I'm not one to go in and start penalizing big companies, but it might ease some of that to where it's like because when you lose your power, right, you're not spending any money. So it's not like. You didn't spend anything extra. You didn't pay for it. But if it was like, hey, if you were out of power for so long, you know, maybe they get a little credit, you know, when it comes back up. So they feel a little bit different. Like the perceptions, like, hey, well, I, you know, I, I got $20, you know, because I was There's down a bill in the legislature right now because that's surprisingly, that's been a fight in the past to say you got to give them credit for the time that they weren't using it. And mm -hmm. people are shocked. But there's a bill in the legislature now to make that automatic. Now, Technically, given the Louisiana Constitution, that's got to come through the Public Service Commission. But I think it's a great idea. You should automatically not pay for what you didn't use. Right. You know, let it be. And if they, I think people would, they, they, it would ease, like I said, that perception where it's like, hey, it worked 97% of the time this month and you were down. But hey, here's, we don't need to be writing checks to everybody. But it's like, hey, here's a credit on next month's bill yep. of, you know, $26. You know, for what you had to do for maybe that covered some bags of ice and took some care of some stuff in your refrigerator. You know, here you go. And then you get people that are not near as mad and they're a little That's more right. understanding. So. That's right. Well, well, Brad, sir, I enjoyed I this. We should do it again sometime. Thanks yeah, for uh, making. No. I want people to know as much as they can about all this, and our, our office is available to help, and we're open to ideas like you had. So keep.
keep them coming. Well, absolutely. Well, I appreciate it, sir. You got more important things to do than talk to me all day. So I appreciate no, you carving out anytime. some time. We'll uh, catch up later. We'll have you back on for sure. All right, man. Thank you, sir. Bye.